well, I am excited about that. I'm, I'm really excited, not just because of his skills. He plays guitar, he sings, he plays drums, but he also plays ukulele, which happens to be my favorite instrument. And so I haven't told him that's one of his responsibilities as our new worship leader yet, but at some point, I need that ukulele to come out. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Tono will still, from time to time, be leading. Uh, Dave will still, from time to time, be leading. Grace will still, from some time to time, be leading, and other people. Um, but uh, just thought it would be good to have that be more uh, explained to folks what was going on there. All right, open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 is where we are today. We'll start in verse 14. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, and one of these uh, fine gentlemen will bring one to you so you can follow along with us in Mark chapter 1. Uh, but I want to go ahead and I want to open up with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, I know we've prayed multiple times today, but now I want to pray for your word. Uh, Father, I believe that it is your word that gives us everything for life and godliness. I believe that your word uh, is sharper than a two-edged sword. I believe that your word uh, does everything we need to make us adequately equipped for every good work, that it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, to train us in righteousness. And Lord, I pray that you would be doing those things in us today in your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 1, we've been just following through this gospel explanation uh, of the life of Jesus Christ as given to us by Mark. Uh, Jesus was baptized and tempted last week, and so when we pick it up this week in verse 14, it says, now after John had been taken into custody, I guess I should change the slide, we've seen enough of the little boy on the screen. Um, now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so, uh, although we've covered that verse a little bit over the last couple of weeks, uh, just for the time frame on this, it says, now after John had been taken into custody, you kind of can put a time frame on this, that this is actually a handful of months after the baptism of Jesus. So you can take that information, compare it to some other scriptures, and that'll lead you to the understanding that from the baptism of Jesus, then there was that temptation, 40 days being tempted by Satan. There's also now another gap of time, uh, and, and somewhere between a handful of months to a year's difference between this, these two sections here that we look at today. But again, it reminds us what it was that Jesus was preaching. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, which we looked at the last couple of weeks, and the gospel that Jesus Christ preached was, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. That was the gospel that he preached, that the time is fulfilled for God's kingdom. It was prophesied all throughout the Old Testament that the nation of Israel was waiting for, that God's kingdom that he had promised to his people, it's right here. It was right there in the person of Jesus Christ. And the response of the people was to be, uh, as Jesus was preaching, that they would repent and believe in that gospel, that they would turn their life around and focus it in on their new kingdom, their kingdom found in God and in Jesus Christ. That was the gospel that he was preaching. But it wasn't just what he was preaching. It was the way that he was doing his ministry that we want to look at. Uh, he's going to be preaching with authority, but he's going to be preaching with people with him. He's going to bring people along. Uh, we see this in verse 16. It says, as he, again, that's Jesus there, was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you 
to become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately he, came, he called them and said to their father Zebedee in the boat, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servants and went away to follow him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. And so we have now this kind of way, it seems strange in the Gospel of Mark, it's really not that strange, but it seems strange the way that Mark puts it out there. It's almost as if he runs across a couple of random guys, and he says, hey, follow me, and they're like, okay. But that, I mean, that's just how it reads, because Mark doesn't give us a whole lot of the background. Uh, but the reason I mentioned that this has been months to a year now since the baptism of Jesus uh, we want you to understand, Jesus has met these guys before. Well, we know that from two different ways. Uh, number one, uh, we find in the Gospel of John uh, that these brothers were followers of John the Baptist. So they were already with John the Baptist. As John the Baptist was preaching that there was one that was coming, and then as Jesus appears on the scene, it would make sense that they knew who Jesus was, and their leader, John the Baptist, had told them who Jesus was. Uh, in addition to that, in John chapter 1, you actually get to see a preview of this, a time when Jesus met these guys before that, and he kind of does a practice, follow me. He's hanging out, he's living in that area there around the Sea of Galilee, and he walks up to Andrew and he says, hey, come and see where I live. And they go, okay, and they follow him to see where he lives. It's a great way to find out if somebody's willing to follow you or if you're a leader. It's, it's invite them along and see if they come with you. And that's kind of what he did. But he had some sort of relationship with these guys before. They already recognized who he was. This wasn't some um, miraculous uh, moment where Jesus didn't even have to preach the gospel to them. They just knew. They just gave up their life to follow. It wasn't like that. They already knew who he was. But Jesus calls them to follow him. And in the context of the scriptures, this is a very simple request as far as understanding how it would work. It's not simple to do. They had to leave their jobs. They had to leave their families for portions of times to do that. It would be hard to do, but simple to understand. If I were to say, follow me, and I start walking this way, well, you by nature would follow me. In fact, I've, I've done that to a guy at the church one time just for fun because I just wanted to see. And so I said, hey, Mark, follow me. And then I just started walking. And he's like, okay, and he just starts following me. And I just start walking randomly around the building, just kind of all over the place, never stopped, never said a word to him, just walked around the building. And the whole time, he's just following after me. And I'm like, oh, it works. <laughs> and he's like, did you need something? I said, yeah, I just wanted to see if you'd follow me. <laughs> so that concept isn't difficult. Follow Jesus. Yeah, let's follow Jesus. How would they have done it? They literally followed him around from town to town. And as they were following around, they saw and experienced the things that he did, and they heard the things that he taught. Because they were following him like that, so clearly, so simply, they were learning from him by both teaching and by example. Now, here's the difficult part in this. If I say to you, follow after Jesus, that's going to look different. Because Jesus isn't literally walking across the earth right now where you can just follow him wherever he goes and hear everything that he says. It's not as simple of a concept for us today. But I would say this, that Jesus is constantly asking him, 
are asking people today to follow him. So what does that exactly look like for us today? That's what I kind of wanted to discover in this. The passage is pretty simple. The passage is pretty clear. Jesus says to these four different guys, to Simon, who will later be called Peter, to his brother Andrew, to James, and to his brother John, he's going to tell both of them in those various circumstances, follow me, and they're going to stop doing what they do, and they're going to literally follow him from city to city. But for us, it's got to look different somehow because we don't have Jesus literally standing in front of us, walking from place to place, doing things. For us to follow him is going to look different. Another way to put that was, what does it even look like to be a follower or a disciple of Jesus Christ today? How do we know that we're doing it right? So uh, the obvious answer is the scriptures will tell us what one is supposed to look like, right? The scriptures will tell us what a follower of Jesus Christ looks like, what a disciple of Jesus does, what it's like. And the scriptures do tell us those things, um, but they're, they're spread out throughout the book. It's not like there is well, one book called the book of following and just gives you a checklist of items. You have to like cull through the scripture and come up with all of these different ways that describe what a follower of Jesus Christ would be like. And then you can start to get a picture, a bigger picture of what that looks like. Well, thankfully, somebody did all that hard work for us. Uh, there's several people that have done this over the years, but uh, a guy by the name of Brad Wagner took all of those things in scripture that the disciples did and he created what he calls a spiritual formation inventory. And then from that, he did a, a longitudinal study. Those who are in statistics can explain that to you. I, however, have never been in statistics. I just read it in the study there. A longitudinal study, which sounds like it was long and had an attitude. Uh, uh, but uh, he, he had uh, 20, oh, let me get this right. I have it written down. Yeah, 2,500 believers and that he looked through the things that Scripture said a disciple would have, and he looked for those who were maturing in their faith and how they were involved or invested in those things, and he certainly found there was actually a connection between the things that Scripture said and the reality of life, that it actually happens that way. If you do the things that Scripture says, you're going to actually mature and grow in your faith. You'll be following Jesus Christ. And then a couple years after that, a group called Lifeway, you may have heard them, but uh, they sell a lot of books. They have a bookstore. They're a branch of the Southern Baptist Convention. But they decided to follow up on that study, and they made it even bigger. Uh, they interviewed uh, a bunch of discipleship experts. I don't know what that is, but apparently there's people out there that are experts in this. Uh, they also, though, took it further and investigated a 1,000 pastors and asked them specific questions following the things in Scripture. And then they went from 2,500 uh, uh, Christian participants to 4,000. And so they expanded on that study. And what those two studies came up with, there are eight things that maturing, growing followers of Jesus Christ have in their life. All of these are connected to biblical things. These aren't new ideas. What's new is they actually followed these people to see if these things actually helped them grow or mature in their faith. So I don't know if you're a note taker or not, but for me, I would take notes on this. If, if there were eight things that would signify that I'm going to grow in my faith, I would want to be invested in those things. They're not complicated, um, but they are things that I think we do have to stop and ask ourselves, am I involved in these things? Now, it's a little bit of a chicken or an egg thing for me personally. 
I don't know if they do these things because they're followers of Jesus Christ or because they do these things, they've grown as followers of Jesus Christ. I, I think it's probably both of those. And if you don't like to write things down, you just take a picture. That's great. Uh, Lee's got this figured out here. But just uh, but the idea is, is uh, again, for me, it's, it's um, I, I, my brain goes in circles. So like I said, are they followers of Jesus Christ because they do these things? Or is it because they're followers of Jesus Christ they do these things? The end result, though, is the same. These people are maturing in their faith. And it's simple things like Bible engagement. Bible engagement is not a complicated thing. Uh, when they describe it, they describe things like regularly reading their Bible, regularly listening to sermons, reading books about Scripture, uh, theological books, having conversations about the Bible with people. But your life on a daily basis, in some way, you're investing in the Scriptures, and the Scriptures are helping you to grow. And as I prayed earlier, all Scripture inspired by God it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. The scriptures do work in you. And so if you invest time and energy into the word of God, there's going to be a fruit in your life. You're going to grow in your faith. If you're struggling to grow in your faith, consider how much time you spend in God's word. And it doesn't have to be all that complicated. For me, when I uh, first came to Calvary Chapel Cheyenne, uh, although I was already a youth pastor at another church, I was not regularly hearing from other people the Word of God. And so I had this really weird habit that on Sunday mornings I would hear the sermon and I would buy the cassette tape, because that's how long ago it was, and I would plug it into my car when I left into the cassette tape player, which my car doesn't currently have. They don't make them anymore, apparently. My car doesn't even have a CD player anymore. It's like you just plug your phone into it and it plays stuff. But anyway, all that to be set aside, I would set that tape in there that Pastor Ron would teach every week. I would stick it into my car. Every time I got in the car, it would just start. And when I turned the car off, it would stop right there. And then it would start again. And that's what I did anytime I was in the car. I was every day engaged in the Word in some way. And so I was hearing both his Sunday and then Wednesday service, at the time it was a Thursday service, but I was hearing those sermons multiple times the week that he preached them. It had a greater impact on me. One of the things I do now is um, I listen to pastor podcasts. And so some of them are sermons, some of them are discipleship topics, but I just have podcasts. So when I go to the gym, I despise exercise at every level, um, but I have learned that I couldn't move my body until I started going back to the gym. So I do this on this ellipse thing. And I do that for 30 minutes. That's what I do. And I listen to the podcast so that I don't fall asleep while I'm just doing this for 30 minutes, right? It's just a simple thing, but it's an ingestion of the word. I have another podcast that I listen to. It's through the Bible in a year. Like just somebody reading the Bible to you. How simple is that? It's about eight to nine minutes every day. And sometimes I listen to it in the shower, and sometimes I listen to it in the car, and sometimes I listen to it at the gym while I'm doing this. But it was just, uh, there's that investment there. And then I have the advantage as well that I have to study to teach. I'll tell you, if you want to grow your Bible understanding, offer to teach something about the Bible. Offer to teach a Sunday school class. It doesn't matter the age, by the way. You're going to get all kinds of questions from kids this big. And you're going to be like, how did that come out of your brain? Like, are you a plant? Did Glenda put you here to test me? Is that what's going on? 
But these kids will ask these amazing questions, and you're not always going to have the answer. You're going to have to, like, go home. I will get back to you next Sunday. And you'll go home, and you'll research that, and you'll study it out, and you'll come forward with those answers. The second thing is obeying God and denying self. That sounds like a really, like, wow. But it's just that very simple thing. When you see something that is very clearly God's instructions in Scripture, you obey it even if you don't want to do it. You, you deny your own desires to fulfill his desires. The example that we used last week was just simply baptism. If Jesus said get baptized, get baptized. It really shouldn't be that much more complicated than that. You deny what you want to do, which is not be in front of people pushed underwater by somebody like me, all of those things you deny, you set those things aside in obedience, you do something that God has asked you to do. We had three baptisms, by the way, on Wednesday night. We have another one, second service today. And uh, in almost all of those cases, there were people that were uh, pushing back for different reasons, whether they were afraid of the water, the one guy had had back surgeries. There's just some fears there, but they just said, look, I'm just going to be obedient powerful testimony of their growth and maturity in Jesus Christ. They're followers of Jesus because what follower wouldn't do what the person they're saying they follow has asked them to do? It's just setting aside things. It's a very simple picture of repentance. I was going this way, but scripture said I shouldn't go that way, so now I'm going to go this way. I'm going to walk away from the things of my choice. Uh, the next thing on the, the list is to serve God and others. In other words, put your gifts, talents, skills to use. Do something for other people in the name of God. Just very simply, just do those things. People who are followers of Jesus Christ are oftentimes the most active servers in the church, but, uh, but beyond that, in the community, in their family, in their home. You're going to see those are the ones that are most often the growing, maturing person in Jesus Christ. Uh, the next thing is sharing Jesus Christ, but it didn't even have to be, uh, with the research, it didn't even have to be like complicated sharing. It didn't have to be like I, I presented the full gospel or anything like that, although that's a piece of the puzzle. But some of the other things that the survey talked about was they just let people in their life know that they were believers in Jesus Christ. They just weren't afraid to bring him up in conversation. They weren't afraid to invite somebody to church. So it's not even like you have to be an evangelist, but just that you're open to sharing your faith with other people. It's people who are having a dinner conversation and things turn to a, a subject and you can easily turn that to how that is impacted by your faith, how you respond to that because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Those are the things that followers of Jesus Christ are often involved in. Uh, they exercise faith. Um, this really, for me, was more of a mind thing, how your mind thinks about circumstances, as I was reading through uh, what they defined that as. Uh, but essentially, exercising your faith comes down to believing God has a purpose for you. Believing God has a purpose in your circumstances. It's just this idea of trusting God even when times are difficult. It's just a great way of exercising your faith. And I like to say it this way, that uh, over the years, God has been so faithful to me that the times that I can't figure him out, I just give him the benefit of the doubt. I may not know what's going on here, but I trust God's got this figured out. It's just a very simple exercising of your faith. 
The next one is seeking God in prayer and worship. And it was pretty specific that this was a daily habit, that they were people who daily were involved in prayer, daily were involved in singing praises towards God or giving thanks to God. There was just a daily nature to their prayer and worship life. Uh, In addition to that, there was building relationships with other Christians. This is just Christian fellowship. This is, if I want to invite somebody over for dinner, some of the first names that are going to come to my mind are other believers. That these are the people that I want to share my life with. That when I'm having a bad day, the person I call is going to be another Christian. Because I know they're going to pray for me. And they're going to be willing to share their bad day with me. Because I can pray for them. Or maybe I can even help them in their circumstances. But growing believers, those who are following after Jesus Christ, will find themselves also hanging out with other believers. They're going to share their life with other believers. They're going to build those relationships. They're going to be in small group fellowships. Uh, They're going to be the ones that stick around after church to talk. Uh, They're going to, wherever they work, they're going to somehow know where the other Christians are in their office. Like, it won't take them long before they start to find each other and they start to build friendships with those other Christians in their office. It's just the way that kind of works in them. And then the last one, which was, I thought, interesting but surprising, was unashamed transparency, which they described as confessing your sins to one another. Of course, that's obviously a scriptural concept, but just this idea that your life now becomes an open book. Uh, These are people that don't walk around as if, hey, I've got this whole Christian thing figured out. I never have a bad day. I've never cried. Well, I actually, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Never have a bad day. Nothing ever goes wrong. My life is perfect in every way. I have everything figured out. They usually have one of those really fake smiles. That's the way I envision these people anyway. These people are just transparent. And they're not afraid to say things like, I am struggling to understand what God's doing in this. I am struggling with sin in my life. Sometimes it is hard to live God's way. Sometimes I do question what God wants to do with me. It's actually a sign of a growing follower of Jesus Christ. And you know why it's a sign? Because people who aren't following him don't care what he thinks about their life. Don't care about his plans or purposes for him, for them. Don't care whether they do something that's offensive to God. These just eight things, but they're, they're very simple. And again, I don't want to give the wrong impression. I don't believe if an unbeliever decided to start doing these eight things that they would magically be saved. This is for those who are already believers of Jesus Christ. This, to me, is what it looks like to follow Jesus today. That these are the things that you're going to see patterned in your life. This is how you would follow Jesus today. Because we don't physically have him walking around where we're just like, this is where Jesus is going and that's where I'm going. Now, you can see elements of that. If you've ever read the book Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby, how do you discover God's will? You look around and see where God's working and you say, I'm going to go there. So when you see God doing something over here, you're like, I'm going to go be a part of that. That's how I'm going to experience God. So there's an element of that, but it's certainly not the same as what these four disciples realized, that they were actually able to literally follow Jesus around, hear everything that he taught, see everything that he did. They learned by his example and his instruction so that when he was gone, they could do the exact same things. Paul would say it like this, follow me 
as I follow Christ. And so the same for you guys. You probably have spiritual giants in your life that you follow after. But the thing that makes you want to follow after them is because they follow so closely after Jesus Christ. You follow them as they follow Christ. It should be a fairly normal thing for a believer that these things should be growing in our life. And if they're not, we have to kind of ask ourselves, how is it that we can follow Jesus if we never read his word that tells us everything about him? How is it that we can follow after our Savior if we don't obey the things he's told us to do in Scripture? How is it we can be like Jesus, we can follow Jesus, but we're never serving like Jesus served? And you can kind of work your way through that list and just recognize that that's what it was like to follow Jesus then. It's very similar to how we would follow Jesus today. So here they are now, these four guys. You have Simon and Andrew, James and John, and they're following after Jesus. And they have this crazy situation that was happening. They go to the synagogue to teach, which isn't crazy in and of itself, on the Sabbath day, because that's when you meet at the synagogue. They were Jewish. It was natural for them to go to the synagogue in verse 21. Uh, So they go into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. And they were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, What business do, you have with each o- do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions... The unclean spirit cries out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they debated amongst themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. So one of the first things these early followers of Jesus Christ recognized about him and even those who weren't following him is that he was one who had authority. He had authority. That's who Jesus was. He was teaching them as one having authority. And they would even say this, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits. Now, I I can't, um, I can't help make this clear enough for you. Uh, Sometimes we read through a passage, we're like, okay, Jesus was teaching, unclean spirit, cast him out, cool beans. And we just kind of gloss over that. But I, I want you to envision that scenario. Like envision being here on Sunday morning. I'm just preaching along as I normally do on Sunday mornings. And all of a sudden, a voice from the audience cries out, Who are you? I know who you are. Could you imagine? Like everybody in the room would instantly be like creeped out. People would like be diving for cover. They'd be like afraid, right? Jesus is up there teaching. He's teaching with authority. The people are amazed by the teaching. And as Jesus is teaching, you hear this this voice. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. What? Weirdest Sabbath ever, right? But it's not over yet. As this demonic, unclean spirit who's, inve- who's living in somebody who is part of their synagogue. Look around the room. Which one of us would it be? 
This is likely somebody that they knew, right? Somebody from their community, a friend or a family member, in the middle of the teaching, speaks against the teacher. And why is he speaking against him? Because he's the Holy One of God. And then Jesus says, be quiet and come out of him. Or sit down and get out. Like Jesus just rebukes this guy. And this even gets crazier. So in the middle of Sabbath on, on, on their service, for them is Saturday, but just like us, imagine the situation. All of a sudden, this guy hits the ground and starts convulsing on the ground, flopping around, and the unclean spirits leave this guy. And then it says this in verse 28. Immediately, the news about him spread. Do you understand why the news about Jesus just spread? That is messed up, right? That is not your normal Sunday morning. When Jesus was teaching, he had authority, and it was an authority beyond what the scribes had. They recognized it. They heard it as he taught. They could tell that he was different than even their scribes. They're educated people. And then he had so much authority that he could command unclean spirits. He had so much authority that he could command demons to leave people's bodies. That's why the news about Jesus spread. He was teaching them as one having authority. Now, uh, you may have heard of C.S. Lewis's uh, liar, lunatic, or lord. There's also a guy today by the name of uh, Sky Jathani that's applied that to this passage. He was using the one uh, in Matthew, but the, the idea is this. Jesus either has authority or he doesn't have authority, right? Like one of those things has to be true. If Jesus doesn't have authority and he's teaching like he does have authority, he's either crazy or a criminal. He's usurping somebody else's authority. That's who he is. If Jesus is acting like he has authority, in the same way, let's say this. If I were to walk around with a sheriff's badge on and a gun on my hip, does that make me the sheriff? But if you saw a guy walking around with a sheriff's badge and a gun on their hip, wouldn't you just assume they were the sheriff? Not me, because you know me, right? But just in general, you see somebody who does something authoritative and you assume it's true. You assume that they're allowed to do that. Uh, don't ever do this, but I, th I was watching a movie last night, and it was about criminals. <laughs> and this criminal guy, just he grabs orange cones. He walks out into the middle of the street and starts putting them down so that he can crawl down into the sewer system, because that's what criminals do. That's how you break into everything is through the sewers, right? <laughs> he just walks out in the street and puts these cones down. Nobody stops and picks the cones up. Everybody just goes around the cones. Because obviously he has authority to do that, right? But he didn't have authority to do that. So he's either a criminal or he's just crazy. Like, I could walk around with a badge and a gun and have no authority, and I either have bad intentions or I just have no clue what I'm doing in this world. Like, those are your two options. If Jesus doesn't really have authority, he's either usurping somebody else's authority or he doesn't realize he doesn't have authority. 
But if Jesus does have authority and he exercises that authority, then he's the Christ. If he has authority that can only come from God, an authority higher than the scribes of the nation of Israel, an authority higher than the demons, then he's Christ. And this is what's going to begin to spread this message as he teaches with authority. People now are in this place where they have to make a decision. Who is Jesus? Who is he? He he could be some guy out there who's taking advantage. He could be somebody out there that's just insane. But he also could be who he says he is. And that's the decision point for the people as this message goes forward. They have to figure out who he is now. Because when he came onto the scene and he began his ministry, it was so clearly, obviously different than what they had seen before that the message about him began to spread everywhere into all the surrounding districts of Galilee. Everywhere. I don't know that how, that, how that hits you. Let me tell you how it hits me. I'm going to follow the one with authority. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow the one with authority. To me, he's not a liar or a lunatic, a criminal or a crazy man. That's not who he is. To me, what I see in Scripture, what I've seen in my own life and the life of other people, is that he is my Lord. He's my Savior. And I'll follow him wherever he wants to go. What does that look like on a daily basis? Hopefully you took notes. Hopefully you took a picture, right? That's what it's going to look like in your life on a daily basis. And when your life looks like that, God will take you to some unbelievable circumstances, places, opportunities. He'll do amazing things for you and through you. It won't always be easy. It won't always be pretty. But it will always, always be powerful as you look back and see what God's done. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the chance to preach it today, Lord. I thank you that the book of Mark is so amazingly concise that it's never hard to figure out what Mark is, is pointing at. Father, I would pray for each of us today that we would examine ourselves against your word, that we would examine ourselves to see if we're really followers of Jesus Christ. Father, if we truly believe your Lord, that we would begin to to model our life after you by knowing you in your word, by acting like you and serving others, by constantly worshiping and praying, going wherever you lead us, God, obeying you in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what I want you to do.